Hi, everyone. This is Teddy. Hey, I hope you're having a great day today. My podcast guest today is going to be Walter Robb. I first met Walter through mutual friends maybe some 25 years ago when he was a regional president for Whole Foods Market. After stints as the chief operating officer and co-president, Walter became the co-CEO of Whole Foods back in uh, 2010, a position from which he retired just a short time ago. In addition to being a super well-respected kind of icon in the natural products industry, Walter was and still is a beloved leader in the Whole Foods community. Here's an example of why. I remember sitting in on a keynote presentation he made to the top 800 or so leaders in one of Whole Foods' 12 regions. He began by scanning the audience and then calling out names of people he recognized and recounting an experience or an interaction with each person. Maybe it was at a team build or a store opening or simply a store visit. Now, a lot of people have really good memories, but Walter's one of those folks that when he is with you, he is absolutely with you. As the saying goes, he had the room at hello. And remember, this is just one of 12 regions he regularly visited. He then proceeded to identify all the challenges this team and this region was facing. It was specific and deliberate, and probably a little difficult to hear. And then he deftly transitioned to enumerating all the skills, the talent, and the resources that were present in the room and the region to meet and overcome those same challenges. When I think of leaders with a powerful human touch, I often think of Walter. Okay, let's get to it. Hello, everyone. This is Teddy Tannenbaum, and this is another edition of the Teddy Talk podcast, Meetings with Remarkable People, Lessons in Leadership and Life. And today, absolutely delighted to be sitting here with old pal Walter Robb, former co-CEO of Whole Foods Market. Walter, welcome. Thanks so much, Teddy. Love the new podcast, man. That's good. (laughs) Yeah. We're trying it out to see what happens. (laughs) Exactly. So I'm looking forward because... You've been in a position of leadership for so long in so many areas, both with Whole Foods and your board work and your foundation work. So, and I'm a curious person, as you know, so I want to just check in with you about, you know, what is this leadership thing all about? Give, let's give the folks and of a Of course, bit. we know that you know what it's all about because that's what you've been doing with all your life and helping so many other people to become good leaders, including myself, but okay. Okay. We'll play along for a while. Yeah, let's play. Let's play. <laughs> Love it. Uh so folks who are not as familiar with you can learn about your background a little bit and how you got into organic and natural foods. Yeah. Well, I just, as every young man looking around to do something of purpose in your life. And so I tried, uh, I tried teaching, I tried farming, I tried writing a book. Uh, I did all those things very early on, but I found my way ultimately to starting a little natural food store in 1978, which was uh, a thousand square feet, borrowed some money, opened it up, not knowing what the hell I was doing, and um, but really believing that healthier food had a real future, and it really resonated with me that we could do something in our generation who would make a difference in the quality of life through the health of the food for both individuals and communities. So... So started that, ran it for 10 years, and uh, lessons learned in that, including many about leadership of uh, what it means to just be have an idea about starting a business to realizing it's somewhere you're responsible for other people that are working with you and what that means. I could tell you a story about that if you want. Please. But um, 
Well, I, I have to come back yeah. to that then. But essentially, so we did that, and then and then then and then sold that, and then started up a uh, selling a, a kind of an organic rice mix around the supermarkets for about a year, and then real missed retail, and then so started up another store down here in Mill Valley, which ultimately I sold to John, which was store number twelve for Whole Foods in nineteen ninety. And as you know, we grew it from there to a store of almost 500 stores, which we sold to Amazon in the summer of 2017. Yeah. So that's uh, the short version of the of the incredible journey of bringing natural foods to the world. Yeah. And, and the a, story? And a, yeah, let's hear that story. The story is this, and it's, it's really, uh, I think, for every uh, uh, business leader we're talking about, a lot of people talk about contemporary leadership or leadership from their current uh, experiences, but to remember back, when did you first, as a young person, realize what it meant? Were you a leader? Did you realize you were a leader? I always had a, some sense I was. But um, this fellow, I was I was driving down the produce market by myself uh, on top of the regular work day, and uh, my cashier, Laura Albert, said, um, maybe you're my husband, Hank, he's out of work right now, could help. And so we arranged to meet, and we talked, and we agreed he would come help me. So it was a Thursday night. It was 9 o'clock, and uh, the back door opens. The store had just closed, and in walks Hank with his uh, his new Carhartt jacket, a coffee thermos, a cap, and a look on his face that told me in like less than a second that A, uh, the dignity of work really matters to individuals, and B, that, whoa, I have a responsibility in that with the team members that are here working. And, and I, it was that one story that made me realize like, like that, that I had to start thinking about that responsibility differently. And I think that is some form of leadership. Maybe that was my first glimmer yeah. of what it meant to be a leader of others. Um, and probably that's a title others have to give you rather than you give yourself. But in mm-hmm. that situation, I clearly was. But Hank Albers is responsible for me realizing, whoa, this is a serious responsibility. Yeah, when you when you have to make payroll and other people's livelihood depends on that, mm-hmm. that's an important thing to put on your shoulders. The payroll alone, but it's it was more it was more in that moment seeing what the work meant to him right. and what the company meant in terms of providing that work and and putting that together with the responsibility therein. So it wasn't just yes, I knew I was writing paychecks every week because we were established business at that point, but it was more the 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 larger sense of what it means to be uh, running a business and having people that work in that business and what that actually meant. So yeah. that was a it was a a leadership learning. Right. Yeah. And it also relates to meaningful work instead of just work. That's right. Right. That's right. What work can mean right. to somebody if you're in a position of leadership? Are they getting real meaningful work? Are they getting make work or you know just do what this list says? You know that's not nearly as meaningful. I could see he really felt like he was going to make a contribution to the company. He knew what he was going to help us go down there and get that produce and bring it back and right. do it safely. And I don't know, all that was in his expression. There was no words. Right. It was just an experience I had of, and I said, whoa, okay, I need to pay more attention, you know? So I'm curious, because you clearly tuned into something that Hank was was exhibiting. As you, and you had that business in Mill Valley, mm-hmm. you sold that to uh, to Whole Foods. What happened next? And how, how did, I'm curious how your sense, your intuition, your reading of people applied as you start to 
get into a larger role. Yeah, I think. Uh, well, I think it's a. I think leadership is. It starts with are you uh, are you awake and aware that you are, and that for me was a lot of that was in that first moment we just talked about. But then it's this: Are you willing to continually stay open and evolve as a leader? So I would say, look, if I look on the whole spectrum of things now, I would sh- I would share with you probably three things. Number one is that the only way that you can grow as a leader and the company can go is to let go, and that let go looks different for everybody. But it is unless you're willing to let go of doing stuff, no one else can do stuff, right? And the company will not get bigger; it'll be limited to just what. You know, you'll be holding on. And so even though you don't want to maybe let go of something you're doing, the question you have to ask yourself is what is the highest and best use of my time for the company? What does the company need right now? Not necessarily what you personally want to do. So the first learning is about letting go. And when you let go, the world gets bigger. There's more room for others. And you realize that a leader is in some ways not just the letting go, but it's the how you're holding the space of the let go that you created, if you will. So that would be that would be one learning. And and uh, some of that came from very personal because people say, well, your name is Robin. And, you know, I was a type A hard driving leader. And, and so I'd push and all that. And people say, you know, well, you rob people of their power. And that, I, mean, I had to think about that and said, <laughs> you know what? They're right about that. But as you, you know, as you grow a little bit, you realize that um, you can let go and letting go, consciously letting go to create space for others is probably the most exciting and wonderful thing you can do as a leader because you're empowering somebody with meaningful work, the Hank Alberts of the world. Number two would be around, um, and this is probably my my crowning realization of, and uh, you know, I, again, I started out as a retailer, as a merchandiser. I spent my time looking at how the store was laid out, where the products were. As I evolved over time, I realized that's not really where the crown jewels were. They were in the people. And that that uh, I started focusing my attention on how were the people doing, what were they thinking, what was the culture. I can see that merchandising out the side of my head. I've been doing it so long, I can feel it and see it in a heartbeat. But I wanted to focus on the on the people. And the realization that the greatest thing you can do, the greatest thing you can do as a leader is shift your mind to realizing that the magic and the genius and the power that's in each and every human being. And that as a leader, if you start from that premise, that you're looking at a you know a fully ex- capable individual just waiting to bring their individual experiences and magic to the creation of the larger whole, you will start in the right place. You will start as a leader with a, a degree of a, a humility, appreciation, and gratitude for each and every person. And you'll start building an organization around and with people as opposed to saying something, an organization that's just set up to do certain things, right? And the third thing I would say is my lesson in leadership is that that actually in an organization that has to compete, has to move, has to evolve, has to innovate, that fountain of innovation is actually the people itself, right? To the extent that you can do number two and create the room for them, it is a a never-ending fountain source of innovation and growth for the company. It's the one that most people miss. They think it's in the strategy. They think it's in this. They think it's in that or this. And it is in those things. But ultimately, this idea that there's a never-ending source of information, education, innovation, change, as well as goodwill in the team members themselves. Wow. So those are things I'd share, lessons yeah. of leadership. There was a lot of ugly stuff along the way. Right, of course. <laughs> Not a straight line, a lot of back and forth, a lot of mistakes, but... Those are some of the nuggets I would share with your yeah. listeners about, at least from my experience. Yeah, and a through line in there, Walter is is uh, trust. You have to trust. It sounds like you have to trust to let go, right? Because you can't do it all yourself. You have to trust that you invest in people; they'll 
respond in kind. And you have to trust that if you create the space for the growth, the growth will happen. Yeah. I would say I was a, I mean, my style was a trust and verify guy. Uh, I learned that you, you know, you have to make sure the person gets out the gate in the right way. And my leadership style with people was, um, was to, you know, I wanted to make sure that we were on the same page. Right. And then I would let go. So I would, I would trust and verify stage one, stage two. I just let go. Cause yeah, I mean, that's the only way you're going to get meaningful work for somebody and meaningful changes and not have to do it yourself is to really get some other setup that you think are good to go. So I, I think, you know, I learned over time, I would, if you just say here, take it and go and they don't have enough guidance, there's not an alignment of what, what you're doing, you're not going to have a good result. Right. But if you have some of those preliminary steps and you have a history of saying this person will take it and go, then it's a lot easier to let go. You yes. know? And you feel like you're being responsible to the accountability you have the same time you're you're moving incrementally to to a full trust and let go yeah there's an extraordinary opportunity that you're speaking about when you have a vision mm -hmm. like you did like you have and you try to find like-minded people mm -hmm. and talk about get them on the same page there are some people that you just develop a relationship with where the interpersonal trust is there the competence trust is there and you can say mm -hmm. here's what we're trying to do right like a wonderful quote from max dupree Herman Miller uh, company, the first responsibility of a leader is to define reality. The last is to say thank you. And in between, he's a servant. So that part about defining reality, for some people, you you establish that reality and they just get it and you, you can let go quickly because you know that they're in lockstep with you and everything, the verification on what's happens automatically. There's other folks that go, they need a little more guidance and you have to determine whether, should I invest in this person or not? And you have to see, because they might need a, not necessarily a right foot, left foot, mm -hmm. but they need a little more hand-holding mm -hmm. to see, will they, on the ramp of this thing, if you help yeah. them get on there, will yeah. they go with it? Yeah, right. right. So your question's really around the different learning styles and growing styles of individuals that you're leading. Is that sort of what you're getting at? Yeah, I'm curious about that. When you have different people, because you're going to grow a business, mm -hmm. and clearly at Whole Foods, this started out quite simple and grew. Yeah, the first meetings were just 12, John and 12 store team leaders sitting around looking at financials. It was very, very simple. <laughs> and then you got heavily into store design, I remember that, mm -hmm. and you were quite good at that. No, but back to your individual question, yeah. you're talking about how people learn in different ways. Yeah. What were you trying to go at there? I was just curious. How do you lead with that? Yeah, or? How, how do you lead when you, when you have mm -hmm. a, a, so many different styles of people mm -hmm. people come at a different point in their life that's right and they're attracted because mm -hmm. could be the product could be the service could mm -hmm. be the uh the mission the values mm -hmm. the vision and then how do you get them as a because it sounded like you're an, you're an orchestra leader you're really mm -hmm. a conductor mm -hmm. the way you were talking about leadership so i'm curious about how do you blend all that diversity of experience into a, a solid foundation that just you know lets you rock yeah. it well, I think one thing at Whole Foods that really helped was there was the foundation of the mission and the values. You mentioned that. And the fact, you know, I talked to thousands of team members over the years as to why they came there. And I think they really wanted to be part of something larger, something. And you hear that often from team members who say, I'm here because I really believe in the work. I'm here because I really believe in what we're doing. I'm here because I want to be part of that. But I think companies that are willing to do that, they have a leg up 
on the creating a common bond amongst people. So then the question is, is do you actually have room for them to make their contributions to that? And that starts with the second point, which is just looking at people. When you start with people and, and, and realizing that they all have that spirit magic inside of them. So you start from that place until it's proven that it's limited or it can go this way or can that way. And third is you try to get them to tap in what they themselves want to do within the organization. Whole Foods was good that way with the old joke at Whole Foods was someone, that's a good idea. Why don't you do it? Right? Because, you know, so, so I think it was like, do you, are you the type of person that's asking questions, finding out, listening, encouraging people to say, which part of the organization do they truly want to contribute to? Do they want to be an operator? Do they want to work in marketing? Do they want to work in product standards? But a lot of times you'd find yourself saying to people, you know, what is it, what is it, where, where do you want to contribute? Where's your passion? Right. And that's on them, not on you as a leader. It's on you to, to create a space where they can explore that and feel safe with it and you, that you might actually follow through and put them in that position to execute their passion, right? So are you building the organization where there's enough room, again, for everyone to bring their particular passions? And your job is to kind of create the whole fabric right. together, but not to micromanage their exercise of the passion. You want them to own the mission and values so much that when that moment comes, they express that in their own personal way with the customer or with a fellow team member. That's what you actually want, right? right? You don't want to prescribe that. So, so I think, and, and then fourth is for me as a leader, realizing that I gear, I gear up, as you well know, Teddy, yeah. I spin at a very fast rate <laughs> and I like it that way. Right. And I'm, I'm like, gives you energy. You got energy and I like it and I'm a people person and all that, but, but other people don't always spin at my rate. Right as Wendy often reminds me. So what you think about it is a gear, right? Well, I'm spinning like this. Other people are spinning at a different gear speed. So I literally use that, my awareness. So when I'm with a person, I, what gear speed are they on? And I gear myself down. Because if the, if the gears don't connect and mesh, there'll be no connection. There'll be no communication. Right. There'll be no understanding that goes between folks. And so, so I think leaders, leaders gear down. Yeah. They gear down for those individual connections. They gear up when they're framing the stakes. People look to leaders. They want a big picture. They want something they can believe in. They want to look up there and say that you know what you're doing. There's right. confidence. We're with you, right? right? But in an individual thing, they want you to gear down and connect with them and have them feel like your person that you can that they can relate to, that you're experiencing things that they're experiencing. And so it's an interesting, uh, the, the poem, uh, If by Richard Kipling, Walk with Kings, Not right. Lose the Common, common touch. touch. For me, that's all about leadership. It's like you got to frame the stakes. You got to paint the big picture you got to be someone that folks say you know want to want to work with them at the same time you got to be a person who can who can uh, not lose the common touch and walk with people and truly in your heart believe in their magic right and so that they can feel that from you and feel like you're supportive creating space for them to make their contributions yeah. the great genius of whole foods is really that you know it's the food is great and all that but it's this company built on this idea of giving people room you know, and it's why Whole Foods is able to go faster than a lot of competitors because the ownership of that of that challenge was distributed, yeah. right? Distributed responsibility. Yeah. And, so and, that's how we tried to lead. And if you tried to lead at Whole Foods different than that, top down, didn't culture would kick the shit out of you. Yeah, yeah. yeah. you yeah. were gone. You know, we we talked some years ago about empowerment doesn't equal abandonment. That's exactly right. Right. And that we talked about empowerment doesn't equal empowerment. Empowerment means personalization with the folks that are working with you, right? We talk about folks may come at problems differently. Are you, you know, I had 12 regional presidents. So I was running ops at Whole Foods. They all do their job differently. Are you going to lead them differently? Yes, of course you are. Are you going right. to work with them depending on where they are and what they need? You're going to, 
Yeah, so it's it is very yeah. And there's no, there's no formula because it's not like you're trying to get them to all behave the same way. You're trying to tap into their potential and challenge them to fulfill that potential and support them to do that at the same time. Yeah. Well, I think it's a combination. I think they're the. The formula is, look, leaders have to be believable. They have to have integrity. They have to have a point of view, as you as you right. point out to me. They have to walk the talk. They have to live the values. They have to be an example. Those things are shared amongst leaders. If you're going to be a leader, you got to be uh, set an example. you got to be able to communicate. you got to have some of those things that every leader needs to have in, in a way that's authentic for themselves. But at the same time, you need to have the ability to flex to individuals to lead them in ways that are appropriate to that individual. I could never leave all 12 regional presidents the same way. They were just different individuals with different motivations and they were different places of their journey as leaders. Yeah. So you got to have the combination. Do you have the strength, the common the common strength of a leader, the things that people look to? Do you also have the flexibility to lead people as individuals? You know? yeah. And of course, you don't get to be a leader because you say you're a leader. You get to be a leader when people are willing to follow you and they trust in you and your leadership. Let's go back to uh, a little bit more about the growth of Whole Foods, right? Mm-hmm. So we know, we have this image of this round table, John and 12, and 12 store team leaders talking, looking at finances. Well, Glenda was there too. Yeah. I'm glad, right? <laughs> so how did it, you know, give me a sense of, if recollection of that time, how it grew. You became a, they, they created a Northern California region. I recall that. Yeah, there was one there and I became the president of that which we then pushed that up into Portland and Seattle. So it became kind of a West Coast thing. Okay. Then we, uh, then I became um, EVP of Ops in 1999, Chief, o- Chief Operating Officer in 2004, and then, and then President Chief Operating Officer, and then Co-CEO oh, in 2000 and late 2009, right. um, which I was stayed in until I, until I stepped down. We sold the company. But, right. Yeah. So in that growth phase, mm-hmm. what was it like when it went from, 12 stores to mm-hmm. what was, what was the, the, the first significant jump that happened where you felt like, Oh my goodness, this is bigger than us. Yeah, I would say, um, you know, I, we went public in 93. That was a pretty big deal. I was like, all of a sudden you start seeing the WFM symbol on the ticker tape. It's like, right. I'm not sure I really grokked it until I had to <laughs> do this stuff with the street. And I really began to understand how that all works. But, um, that was a big moment. I think, we bought a number of companies in succession, uh, Mrs. Gooch, Bread and Circus, Bread Alive. We bought three or four in a row over five or six years, Fresh Fields. And I think each of those felt like real moments in time where all of a sudden we could see the thing was getting a lot bigger and we had you know, learning from different points of view. Um, you know, I, I don't know. I think we had the we had moments like the Alar scare in 60 Minutes when all of a sudden the visibility of the media and the customers focused on the pesticides and boom, we just jumped over overnight. It just felt like it felt like this. Looking back on it now, just this incredible uh, carpet magic carpet ride where we just kept growing, 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 growing. And I think the moments of time were when we bought new companies or when we were in new parts of the country. Remember, it was just a it was a virgin territory of growth, right? Whether we were buying a company or going into a new market, right. we pushed ourselves, and we and we ended up when I, you know, when we sold the company, we were in forty four states and three countries, right? right? So, so we went from you know being a Texas based company then to California and then across the country. And first one really to do that in the natural food supermarket right. space. So, so it was a it was a, like a, just this journey of uh, step. Wow! And now we're in the UK, and now we're in Hawaii, and now the sun never sets on Whole Foods. Right. And wow! <laughs> now I think there was a moment somewhere in the late nineties where we, where we really realized, maybe it was early two thousands, that wow, we can actually do more than we thought we could do. We can actually have a bigger view of what's possible 
than what we thought before. And I think once we realized that, we set up the foundations, whole planet, whole kids, whole cities, our three 501c3s. And we started to think more, you know, in bigger terms about what would be possible until the downturn hit. Then we had to kind of recalibrate against that economic challenge. And then we had another great go run. And then we had, uh, um, you know, in the last couple of years of the company, the marketplace really moved quickly and we had, uh, we weren't growing at the level that we had been. And so and after 30 some odd years, um, but yeah, I mean, it, it just was an extraordinary, uh, extraordinary, uh, path. And I think it was more incremental along the way in terms of realizing we can do this. We kept learning, we kept getting more mature, more knowledge, more sophisticated, but, uh, there was those moments punctuated along the way that really made that point, you know, pretty, pretty clearly. Yeah. It seems like once you embarked upon that path of acquisition as well as ground up, that the competition wasn't really paying as much attention. And it was Whole Foods that was spreading across the country. Mm -hmm. right? I think the feeling there was what what Wall Street said is when when Safeway or when somebody gets a hold of this thing, you, you guys are toast. So right. I know we said that. I don't you think, enjoyed that challenge. By the time, the time it came out like that, there, we were too far down <laughs> that, the road. That's so right. They weren't going to catch us. <laughs> they never did catch they us. They never did. No. Right. Hmm. I remember a conversation we had once about culture. And I was asking you about how do you grow the company and scale the business like this with such rapid growth, such rapid expansion, not just to primary, but now secondary markets, mm -hmm. tertiary markets, mm -hmm. how do you maintain the culture? So I'm curious, from a leadership point of view, mm -hmm. did you notice that your leadership style not necessarily changed, but but that you had to draw upon other aspects that you hadn't had to draw upon before in order to maintain that culture? No, I mean, the first one, do you have a strong culture, right? Every every company has a culture. You can't borrow anybody else's culture. The Giants can't borrow the Dodgers' culture, vice versa. But, you you know, so Whole Foods had a culture, and and it got strong, right? It was, uh, it's it's like the force is strong. And uh, at a point where Whole Foods, where it, it will act on its own if they see something that's not resonant with the culture. But I would say, you know, we did learn along the way. We opened a store in uh, Madison, Wisconsin, and we didn't uh, – we didn't have the culture. We didn't have the yogurt, uh, the start the, the yogurt. So we started we started putting, you know, really looking at putting existing team members in new markets so that we knew that the yogurt starter was in that market and the culture would, would take take hold. The times we got in trouble as a company is when that was not the situation. Right. That, and, was, that was the union. Uh, exactly. That happened in Wisconsin. So so the, it got, folks got very disaffected. They didn't have the foundation of culture right. to draw on in those moments to, to reassure them. But, you know, here's what I say about, about culture in terms of growth is because a lot of companies now are struggling with this question of how do I grow with a soul, right? Right. Um, and one is that you have to have a, a soul in the first place, right? You've got to have a reason <laughs> for being beyond just being there to make money, right? You either do, you don't. And uh, we've talked about the power of purpose in companies. And second of all, that you have to, the leaders have to act in accordance with that. There has to be some reason to believe that this mission is what we actually believe as leaders. And then third is that, is that we make decisions that are consistent or resonant with those values and purpose. In other words, that team members themselves can see that that we continue to stay on course with what we said we're here to do because they're always looking to see if they are and then i think fourth is that you're you're empowering your leaders to carry the culture right do they have the do they understand it are they being are they being thoughtful of what it meant what it means to be a a conscious store team leader where's the training and support for that right. where's the encouragement where's the reinforcement for that how does that all happen in your company and how do those things get passed around which is uh, in, in an informal way and then, you know, are, and is there truly room for the team members to 
Uh, if your culture is one of empowerment, is there, is there truly tangible ways in which they can make decisions on their own without asking for permission? So in other words, do they experience it as being true? Right. Right. And so, so I think it's on all those things that you have to be in. And the main thing is that you have to recognize conscious, I mean, culture is an intangible. You know, it should be on the balance sheet, but it's not because it really is simply the informal way of how customers feel or team members feel as doing business with your with your business, right? right. So the question is, the question is, it's it's an intangible, but do you really, as a, as a leader, do you see it how important it is, and do you see it when you think about making your investments every year, what are you doing to invest in your culture? In what ways are you going to continue to invest in your culture? So right? Are you investing it through a leadership gathering where you bring people together right. and you can reinforce the history of the company and talk about where you're going and, and fire the troops up to carry that out there? Are you doing it through through giving them ta- you know tangible uh, in- empowerment like store team leaders getting you know uh, a couple hundred thousand dollars a year or three hundred five hundred thousand dollars a year they can spend on their own authority? Right, still being accountable. Do you are you uh, are you thinking about the team members in terms of uh, their health benefits and how that's all landing? So, so what are the actual steps you're taking to demonstrate that you're serious about? In the case of Whole Foods, team member happiness and excellence was the core value. What are you doing for people to continue to believe that that's how we do it around here, that's right? right? And that's what culture is, is how things get done around here. That's exactly what culture right. is. It's the Petri dish in which the whole business lives. Yeah. It's the Petri dish in which the thing unfolds. And by the way, Petri dish is a good analogy because it's a living thing. It's constantly changing, evolving, right. expanding, contracting. It's yeah. a very sensitive to environmental stimulus. Right. So I, if something happens out there that says this is off fade, you know, it, the Petri dish Deals with, grows a spore or does something right until you deal without it, right. it. It infects the it infects the the the, the cell. Yeah. I was always impressed when uh, Whole Foods started with a certain set of core values and the Declaration yeah. of Interdependence, and then was aware enough to say we need to add a value. We need to combine some values. Right. Right. That tells me the culture is a living thing. It's not just something you put on the wall, hand out a wallet card, and you're done with it. Exactly. And 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 also, you know, when when you talk about how do you which also explains what why it works to grow with that if you're thinking about it as a growing thing it's much more consistent with the growth of the company right you think about growing them both at the same time right if you understand culture is growing you realize it doesn't sit still it's not like something you try to hold on it will slip through your fingers that's right, right. it's something that's living that's growing right. as you grow and so it's it's the thinking about it holistically is the right way to think about it yeah. And bringing, we mentioned briefly about uh, gatherings. I know yeah. there's there's Vision Day and there's uh, there's tribal. tribal and the annual gathering. That's right. All those opportunities. And then other other team members have told me over the years that they really understood Whole Foods when they started to travel with each other, going to see vendors, right? Going to visit different stores, see mm-hmm. what best practices are. And those informal conversations people had with each other allowed them to then kind of anchor that culture for them. And that's how you bring people up and and, uh, mm-hmm. and reach your critical mass. Right. That's right. Yeah. But is the culture of a company that's got a hundred thousand team members different than the culture of a company that has ten thousand team members? Yeah. Sure. Yeah. But but the the fundamental, um, at least in our culture at Whole Foods, was these were the common themes that I think people continue to experience, and they'd say, "Well, is this the still the same place?" Well, I mean, no. I mean, part of it is. You know, every store is a little bit different, which is okay. And, right. um, but they continue to experience that these values are still being practiced, right? So the, the culture still feels rich and feels right. real, even though it may be a larger organization or I don't know everybody in the company anymore. Right. But I'm still experiencing it on my day-to-day work. There's something different about this place, right? Yeah. This is – what's the old saying? You, can, you can't stand in the same river twice, right? If the company's not growing, it's dying. So it grows. So, yes, it's almost like that spiral dynamics – 
Right. So I'm curious, when you think about uh, some of the challenges that you guys faced over the, through acquisitions or through growth or through regulatory, whatever it may have been, you and John and Glenda and, and AC and the rest of the E-team, uh, tell us about some of the leadership challenges that you faced in that growth and how you observed yourself and others grow in their own leadership persona to deal with those things. Yeah, I think um, I think the, the the greatest thing about our group was the the, the such a strong common bond around around making a healthier world. You know, the the shared sense of mission and purpose was so strong in our group that it really uh, helped to it helped to to uh, it helped to bind us uh, in whatever challenges came came our way. But I think look, there was moments when we were severely challenged. The the uh, and the downturn was an example where all of a sudden our business, everybody's business just got to go in the toilet. And, and for the first time in my retail career, I couldn't tell where the bottom was. I didn't know if it was going to keep going down. And we didn't know. It was like a cat on a roof and you couldn't get your grip. And so out of that, I think, came a tremendous amount of when you're exposed like that, came a tremendous amount of reflection amongst our team about, well, where are we and what's going on? And why are we losing our customers? And so it forced us to go back to... Uh, the basics. We started doing. We started realizing business is done one customer at a time. We went back and did customer connection groups in the store. We put ourselves back on track. Just like, all right, let's go back to what we can see and touch, and let's listen and let's build from there. So one lesson was around, you know, remembering to keep your feet on the ground. You know, you get going and think, oh, we're we're the best thing going, and then all of a sudden, what the world slaps you, which it does. And so I think our learning was, okay, let's let's keep ourselves grounded and real here. Second of all, during that time, it made us reevaluate. We had drifted. Uh, trying to be all things to all people, we realized out of that. Now let's get back and stick to what we're really here to do, and which is to be the very best high quality supermarket in America. And uh, instead of trying to be the largest or be the most things to all people, that's not really who we were. We were there to bring quality to the marketplace, and that was our focus. That didn't mean the biggest; it meant the best. And so, and the team members, interestingly, when they felt that shift or they felt that shift, we could feel, you can feel when culture's out of whack. And we could feel that when we kind of realized that and we all came back together, the team members just went, ah, this feels right. Now we're on track, you know. So I think you, you know, learnings, we learned to pay attention to the culture and along the way when we, when we look for disconnects or separations and then try to move to address that, you were part yourself of one right. great leadership uh, crossroads where you were there when that thing was starting to unravel and you had to facilitate the group through that period of time. And there was a learning. It's not a straight line. Um, you got to be constantly watching and listening. So we had that lesson. We had the lesson around uh, GMOs where we uh, were trying to figure out what position do we take. We knew that people looked to us as a leader in the marketplace, but we hadn't really taken a position. The body politic was getting very anxious. The world was getting anxious. And finally, we came up with a someone we could all agree to, which was transparency by the end of 2018. So full transparency on what on was labeling. or not GMO and that. And again, you could feel the organization just go, oh, this seems right. This is okay. the Whole Foods we know. It's a leader. It doesn't follow. So the lessons were how important it is to not only lead, but also listen to make sure you're leading in the right way to, yeah. and stay connected. So those were two. And then I had a lot of personal learnings along the way about about really what it means to be part of a team, which is Whole Foods, everybody's part of a team. And <laughs> one of our fellow E-team members, I was just so frustrated with him and felt like he, you know, and I, I kind of went around him. I just, and it was the wrong thing to do and it kind of bit me in the ass and, and I realized I had to apologize, and I, you know, it was a mistake. But I realized that 
um, that what being part of a team means is that you don't actually have to do everything yourself, that you really need to trust the other members of the team to do their thing and you do your thing. And that yeah, it doesn't mean not communicate, but so there was a lot of learnings as an individual leader along the way. We talked about some in terms of realizing, um, not it, you know, not, uh, micromanaging people, but sure. empowering them is the right way to go, especially in the whole foods culture. But yeah, I mean, there's a lot of learnings along the way in the last year of the company when we were under tremendous pressure from the street. Um, it's the lesson there is just it, when you're not growing as fast, it's hard to run a business when you're looking you know, down declining sales, there's not as much flexibility or dollars to work with to make your decisions. And it became a time of great pressure. And and then so the question is, how do you react under pressure? And I will say, I think our team did a pretty good job pulling together and focusing <laughs> to try to make the best decisions. And um, But, you know, I mean, there's a lot of pressure yeah. at that level of business. And so um, I think, leader, you know, you, you learn what sort of leader you have or leaders you have under those moments of pressure as right. well as moments of success. Yeah. That's where you get tested. When, there, when you have a personal leadership crisis mm-hmm. and you have to think, how do I get back to that, that mm-hmm. sigh that you yeah. talk about? Boy, I could feel that. Even as you say that, I could feel like as a team member, you go, okay, we're on the right track. Mm-hmm. But between the time when you first realize that we're off base before you get back there, you have the team has a crisis of leadership, individuals have a crisis of leadership. And yes, that's how you test who you really are under pressure. What does someone say that... that um, uh, you know, there's a hero is no different than anybody else. They just, you know, for one minute longer, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. right? They last that one minute longer. Mm-hmm. So, well, think about Churchill stepping up, and as soon as the war was over, they booted him out, right? Yeah. So he was the man of the moment, but uh, no one had what he had in terms of the confidence building and this and the speaking. But uh, when the thing he got boot, he got booted out. <laughs> <laughs> no good so, deed goes unpunished. Well, sometimes. Yeah. I remember another conversation we had some years ago about the foundation work that the street said, uh, or the VCs at the time said, look, you know, you want to do all these other things. As long as you meet your numbers, go right ahead. So that gave the, when the company got big enough, it gave you guys permission to say, all right, because, and I, as you often say, we're, we're not retailers on a mission. We're missionaries who do retail, right? That's right. And, and that so that extended to then uh, the planet, the kids, mm-hmm. and the cities. Mm-hmm. Can you speak a little bit about some of your initiatives in that realm? That's right, yeah. I think it goes back to your earlier point is as you grow and get larger, you start realizing you can and should do more as a business. And, of course, the view of conscious capitalism is that businesses have that responsibility to start taking uh, – a wider role in the world because that's how the world's going to improve. And, and you see, you see those themes starting to be sounded by Larry Fink at BlackRock and others are saying, start thinking longer term folks and start thinking broader because that's the role of business and society today. Um, so, um, but I think this example was along the way we started realizing we could stretch ourselves further and that we have started, that's where we ended up uh, starting the first foundation, which was whole planet. Give John full credit for that. It was, um, uh, where he wanted to do something about the companies where we traded. I think we trade in 82 countries or 83 countries for product and wanted to do something about the standard of living in those countries. And so we, then we farrowed it, narrowed it in on places where we trade. So we were actually helping the communities where we were getting product. And it was really microfinance through his uh, through the books we read of Muhammad Yunus. Um, and uh, we started you know, putting that. And so that, that foundation has been out 11, 12 years and it's, it's done a remarkable, I think, lent over $2 million into the, the different trading areas. And 
two two things. It's got to have, uh, the person's got to have a checking account. Second, they got to have a income producing job. But that's about it. And there's a Unis format to do all right. that. But so that one we did whole kids, which is really about. Uh, Helping kids nutrition, and we started with salad bars in public schools. We've added gardens in public schools. We've added teaching uh, education for uh, for teachers who are too busy to have skills to do that. And we've done over five thousand salad bars, four thousand gardens, and a thousand teachings on that in the kill kids. And we also have whole cities, which is really about working in the inner city, underserved areas with uh, education and information to make change. So I think you know those were things were just moments where. We as leaders said, let's let's create that next, let's create that next stretch of the mission, and to put it into form in some way, to continue to have prove that this mission is a, of, of making a living world is a living thing that will now that we can see we express now that we can see we can express. And that's why I say the common denominator is not the retelling; the common denominator is the mission, and then and the the stores become the the canvas upon which you paint your mission. The foundations become the way in which you express your mission, and those things holistically make a team member feel like they're part of something greater, right? right? So. And team members have an opportunity to participate in those foundation work. I know. Well, they can uh, support it through their payroll deduction, or they can also volunteer to work in it, and they can also support the campaigns and programs to support the foundation. Yeah. So So that that ties it right back. It becomes a virtuous circle. And I think I I know a number of team members who have gone to other countries and worked Mm -hmm. with the vendors and those uh, suppliers in those countries Mm -hmm. and had on on the ground experience. Of course, they bring that back to their stores or their offices, and that's right. Grows from there. That's right. Wow. What a journey, huh? Unbelievable journey. And yeah. I think, you know, I mean, you step back, people say, well, what do you think now that uh, when the company sold? I say, well, you know, one, I'm really proud of what we as a team accomplished in terms of uh, changing the, or helping to change the conversation about food in America from when we started. And and two is I think that we made the point that it's how you do things is just as important as what you do, that that all matters. And, and we set some sort of a standard for ethical behavior as a company and and third, I would say it's bittersweet. I mean, it's, um, you know, you put your life, soul, and sweat and spirit into building something. And then, uh, yeah, for all of us, at some time, you have to stop, right? So, <laughs> right. I mean, it doesn't, we don't have un- unlimited runways here. Right. So, but nonetheless, it's, uh, I think I realized from, from this perspective just how much of me or just how I was so interwoven with the mission of Whole Foods. It, it is my life's work and the company that you really can't separate the two, right? So, it was like giving expression to that, the the company belief, my personal belief, whatever was all merged in there, and it was just like uh, giving birth for thirty years, yeah. and it was an extraordinary <laughs> midwife experience. You yeah, know? <laughs> I love and, uh, and I'm proud of what we did. I, yeah. you know, I think you know they, I think we we you know it's people say now, wow, that's an amazing company, amazing brand, but we didn't think about it that much along the way. We just thought about we got to give expression to these things we believe and we're doing it when it's fun and we're competing and we're building nice stores right. and team members are happy and you know we just let's just keep going. Let's 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 you know we were all competitive and you know John's competitive. Yeah. You know, so let's just keep going. We're building a wonderful thing here. Yeah. And now that it's been sold and there's a new uh, sheriff um, it's just you, you can all sit back and say, wow, we really did accomplish something pretty special. Yeah. yeah. So a couple of other things. One thing about the culture, I want to go back to, and then I want to talk a little bit more about Amazon. Yeah. The the notion of appreciation. Mm-hmm. It's a through line in the organization. Mm-hmm. Can you tell the folks a little about how mm-hmm. you value appreciation, yeah. how that shows up? Well, the, I mean, the whole idea is that uh, – 
that again, you're kind of an extension of the Hank Albert story. Not only are you empowering people and, and paying attention to them and aware of them, but you're also recognizing and appreciating. You know, the, as a as a coach yourself, you know the power of, of recognition and appreciation, right? I mean, the old thing of praise in public, criticizing private, but but this idea of no one likes to hear a name more than their own name and recognition and appreciation, these are powerful tools, but they're ones that a lot of leaders forget to use. It's a simple thank you. Even if you're going to say, we did that, now we got to go do this. I've learned from my own experience, if you don't stop to say thank you for this, then you just look like a guy who's on the ask all the time and you don't look like you have the chance to thank people for the work they've given you. So, um, But at Whole Foods, we end every meeting with appreciations, which is not mandatory for you to do, but if you want to, it's an opportunity to express gratitude to other members of whatever team you're involved in for the work they've done. So it takes and shifts the tone of confrontation or conversation or collaboration. It shifts it to gratitude, which is just a higher level emotion to finish on and get you back in your heart. The best appreciations come from the heart and from direct experience. And when they're set in the room, um, they're moving, you know, and people realize, wow, this is why I work here. Wow, this is an amazing place to work. Wow, this is, we can do this. So so it's, I think it's the, it's the power of gratitude. It's a good thing to remember when you're whining about something or uh, <laughs> that, you know, get yourself back in a place of gratitude. Or when I go out to give a speech now, I do, I always do to myself, I do humility and gratitude. I say those things. I'm grateful to be here. I'm, I'm humbled by this opportunity. I'm grateful to have this opportunity and I'm going to be, do the best I can to, to try to look at those group out there and give them something that will be helpful to them. Yeah, right? memorable. So, yeah, so right. gratitude is really uh, at the start of it, and appreciations were a very core part of Whole Foods market culture. Yeah. So it's a whole new era of retail. It is. Right? Yeah. And uh, Amazon, an e-commerce business, decides to buy a brick-and-mortar company, and it's Whole Foods, competing global grocery. Curious, your peek into the future of what Amazon's trying to do uh, in retail in general and in Whole Foods in spe- uh, particular. Yeah, well, peek into the future. We're, we're looking at a we're looking at a world in which the customer today, if you want to talk about food, or you want to talk about others, the customer can pretty much have what they want twenty four seven in whatever way they want it. Is it is that completely filled out? Not yet, but it's going to be. So, in food, for example, you could sit at home and and act like a Roman and have it delivered. You could go down and pick it up. You can go pick up parts of it. You can go shopping at the store. You can go hang out at the store. You can call and have the meal sent in fully made. You can have the meal sent in in parts. I mean, you can, uh, you know, use your phone. You can use the phone, you know, whatever you, there's all these options in this world of optionality. And, and so that's the way the future looks. And so what you're going to look between now is various models of integration in ways that are try to be compelling for people to stay with that particular ecosystem. Now, Amazon is one of the winning ecosystems. Clearly they, They've combined physical and digital in a compelling way, and you see those things happening right now with the lockers and the stores, right. the 365 products going on the platform, and and with the merger of the Prime and the Affinity programs where you see Amazon saying, we can take care of you, you know? And by the way, we'll get your data while you're doing that. But <laughs> I, think they, I think they will uh, have a large share of the food business. I think they'll use that platform to get to know you better, personalize, and be able to sell you other things and deliver you other things. They want to be in your home. They want to be in your kitchen. They want to be uh, in your life so that they understand how they can serve you. And I think they're genuine about that. So I think you're looking at, um, you know, competing ecosystems out there like a Walmart, Jet.com, like an Alibaba that are creating these ecosystems that can provide this sort of service to customers. You're looking at individual companies within their 
especially are they trying to create the same set of capabilities to serve their customers. And either you're looking at a food world where you're just going to have less food stores, they're going to be more experiential, they're going to focus more on fresh foods. You're going to have a lot of parts of that that are going to be delivered or automated or you know, on regular distribution in some form or fashion. You'll have linkage between the store and your refrigerator, which will be on your phone, which you'll be able to see what's in your refrigerator coming home and order it and have it brought to your house. The world will be much more seamless and connected five years from now. You'll go into a store and they'll probably be doing, you know, picking and working on delivery at the same time as they're serving you. So um, there'll always be room for these big, you know, high-level experiential stores that are in, Markets where people just want that gathering and that right. convening. Community but, center. But you're going to see uh, this fusion of digital, physical, and everything between and mobiles. It's going to happen in the next number of years. It's going to make shopping for food even more interesting and even more even more options for all customers. Right. So the theme in there is integration of all these different options. Mm-hmm. How Who can seamlessly integrate all these things so it's still customer-centric? Well, that's Amazon's goal, right? I mean, and they're 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 very focused on their customer. But you know, for example, you go into a store, let's say you go in a shoe store, they don't have your size, go to Nordstrom's, they'll ship it to your house, right? I mean, that starts to look what integration looks like. They it doesn't really matter, they're channel agnostic. What they they want to do is serve you. And so they built out that platform for you to, to be able to do that. And are all the pieces in place yet? No, but the outline's clear. And uh, they're building software for many stores now where you can go in on the iPad, they're looking at you, and they can they can find your size. They don't have it there. They can get it, and it's like it's going to get there by the time you get home, right? So <laughs> so everyone's working in this direction to add those capabilities to be able right. to do that. You know, our generation, uh, many of us grew up with the cartoon, The Jetsons. Mm-hmm. It was all future-oriented. Flintstones. All Flintstones and Jetsons, right? <laughs> so here we are, 2018. Yeah. Uh, so- you left Whole Foods uh, uh, November of 16? No, no. I stepped down as uh, CEO January of 1st of 2017, and then we dissolved the board in September of 2017. Right. So it's been a little less than a year, year. like you know, eight months. Somewhere. So what's Walter doing now? Well, I'm going to the baseball game with you tonight. Um, <laughs> not rooting for the same team as of you. Of course. But, uh, <laughs> but, uh, and never will. Never way. will. Yeah, I ain't coming over there. You know, and I'm, uh, I'm you're not, coming over here. There's so. no orange and black That's, in my life. <laughs> <laughs> that makes me very blue. But uh, uh, what I'm doing now is um, I'm doing a lot of speaking around the world. I've had a nice a relationship with CAA out of LA for about five years, and they've been kind of to give me some opportunities to speak to different business groups and um, a range of business groups, which has been really interesting and fun, and I enjoy it. I enjoy sharing you know, our learnings and, and my perspective on the marketplace. I've been doing some strategic consulting with uh, some CEOs who, who I had relationships with who asked me to come and help them think through their roadmap for the future. I've been doing some investing. I've you know, got some... Uh, good coverage on sort of seven or eight of the ones that I've done and, and companies I think are part of the sustainable future. I've got, right now I'm entertaining some offers from different organizations that, that I might join in some capacity to help them think through that. And, and uh, you know, ultimately wrestling with the question, do I want to operate again? Do right. I want to be, you know, so I love building a team. So, um, so we'll see how that all turns out. And we set up a little family company called Stonewall Rob, which is kind of a nice little website if you want to get up there and take a look at it. Yeah, you can kind of see our family in action with our values. And right. the boys are both entrepreneurs and right. 
Um, they have companies going now. So and the the, the barn almond milk is just new uh, barn. Yeah, the barn, fantastic. Thank you very much. Yeah. I think so. Yeah, uh, wonderful product. And Chris and, has a little drink called Shrub, which is his, uh, which is a very refreshing drink that uh, draws on a a, a, a colonial um, method of preserving fruit through the use of a vinegar. But it's a kind of a refreshing drink that he's created. He's got three flavors, three more coming, and so yeah, we're we're a food family. Yeah, how about that? And and uh, and Giants fans all the way through. Oh yes, I mean. <laughs> That's true. You want me to? Nah. Right. I'm just going to say the Giants have won uh, three, three world, world champs in the three world series in the last. And how many of the Giants won? How many of the, the Dodgers, Dodgers won in the last seven oh, years? To the last seven years, geez, I, I have a hard time rec- recollecting that. And did Kershaw get smoked the other night? Oh my goodness, one in four going uh-huh. into this point uh-huh. of the year. And did you guys double clutch when they when you got to the World Series finals last year? <laughs> I used to have this joke on yeah. him that I had that I couldn't, I can't use it anymore in the last couple of years. I say, what's the difference between a Giants hot dog and a Dodgers hot dog? They don't sell Dodgers hot dogs in October. I can't use that joke with him anymore. because no, five division are- championships in a row. Mm-hmm. But, uh, you know, we just need that last, That you know, we played every game last year. Just didn't quite come up in the last one. Mm-hmm. But hey, there's next year. There's this year. There's this year. Where are we now? We're, we're, You're 500 team. Yeah, we're a 500 team. You're a little under 500. That's right. But when the Dodgers play the Giants, no holds barred. That's right. It's crazy. And we Friday also night- lost two of our pitchers on, you know, we're just getting them back now. Yeah. But yeah, no, everybody's got injuries. But yeah. Yeah, neither, both of us are like mid-table. Yeah. yeah. But it doesn't take away from the rivalry. That's right. We love that. It's one of the great rivalries in all sports, right? Yeah. Which will be taken up, already starting to take up in this area. <laughs> right, right, right now. <laughs> 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 all right. Well, Walter, I appreciate you. Because, Thank you, Teddy. You know, Likewise. You show up, and that's the most important thing. Thank you very much. I appreciate that. I appreciate the chance to be part of this little uh, little roadshow <laughs> thing that you're doing here. Yeah, yeah it's yeah. great fun. So let me ask you, what are your, uh, what are your, if you think back on your greatest learning about leadership, uh, or either through leaders you've observed or in your own yeah. experience of coaching leadership, what, what, are, you, what yeah. are your nuggets? You know, you won't be surprised that the first word pops up for me is authenticity, mm-hmm. and that, uh, the authenticity is when the story you tell other people is the same as the story you tell yourself. Mm-hmm. So I strive for that, and I try to coach uh, my clients towards that, to be self-aware enough to understand who they are, what their beliefs are, what their values are, and how that affects their behaviors. So that's, that's really my big learning. is, And that, that a leadership mind is a spacious mind. It has to be broad enough to contain paradox. Of course, there are always going to be conflicting values and mm-hmm. contrary uh, strategies. And how do you hold all of that together mm-hmm. to get the best possible answer? Mm-hmm. So I continually, I'm, I'm delighted. I get, I get, I'm attracted to and I'm attractive to mm-hmm. branded companies who say, we want to, we want to grow a culture. Mm-hmm. We want to grow a culture. Mm-hmm. So that's what jazzes me. Mm-hmm. I would say one more that I learned from you, uh, and you may not remember this exchange, but in Boulder is that leaders also act. That's right. They act. Because somebody at the end of the day has to act. Somebody has to say, this is where we're going. And I think I've learned uh, the power of that. It's not just the power of the convening. It's not just the power of, of good communication. It's the power of saying, here's the path we're going to go, or proposing it. You could be flexible to changing it, but but leaders act. That's great. They decide, and they do it in a way, in a, in a timely manner, in a way that uh, inspires others, encourages others, that gives others confidence. And I think that's another important characteristic in whatever venture you're leading. The leader has to act. Yeah. 
This is delightful. We could do this for a long time. This is just, we'll call this part one. Part one. We'll come back and revisit. Part one. Part one. I love it. Okay. Thanks, Teddy. Thanks, Walter. Appreciate it. Really cool. Awesome.